Hello, and welcome to another edition of the International Intrigue Audio Newsletter. This is where we read to our two main stories so that you can go about your busy days. This week, we've got a story on the upcoming Iranian elections and what the probable victory of the hardliner candidate means for the future of Iran and the region. Our second story sees a return of the Analyzing an Analyst series. This week, we take a look at Ian Bremer and his views of the big tech future. Bremer is the president of the Eurasia Group, which is a political risk consultancy. He has some fascinating thoughts on where the future is headed. So without further ado, on to the first story. An Iranian Game of Thrones. Global affairs can be deeply, darkly funny. Take, for example, the various ways elected leaders try with straight faces to avoid being unelected. Here are a few models. The first is the vote for me or win a lifetime trip to the gulags model, with the reigning world champion being North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, who won 100% of the votes in 2014, surpassing even his dad, who only got 99.9% of the votes. The second model is the you-can't-lose-an-election-that-never-happens model, with one of many world champions being the Palestinian Authority leader Mahmoud Abbas, who promised to hold elections in 2006, but as of writing, still hasn't found quite the right time. The third is the let's-divide-the-map-into-impossibly-complex-shapes model, with the reigning world champion being the United States politicians, whose mastery of gerrymandering means they get to pick their voters rather than voters picking them. And finally... The anyone can be president but not you or you and definitely not you model, with the reigning world champion being Iran's mysterious 12-person guardian council, which can veto anyone deemed unfit for presidency. And as an aside, you could also go an entirely different route like Australia, which lures citizens to vote with the promise of a free sausage sandwich on election day. We've lovingly dubbed these democracy sausages. And then there were seven. Sorry, I buried the lead. Iran's presidential election will be held on 18th of June. Experts are predicting a lower-than-usual voter turnout due to COVID-19 and voter apathy. In Iran, the Guardian Council, a 12-person body of jurists and clerics chosen by the country's supreme leader Ali Khamenei, decides who can run for president. It's a little like the early stages of a talent show. Everyone can apply, but not everyone has what it takes to make it. So last week, the Iranian government announced that a field of around 600 presidential contenders has been whittled down to just seven who will progress to the final round of this season of So You Want to Be the President of Iran. That field does not contain last season's winner, President Hassan Rouhani, known to be a moderate in Iranian politics, because he has been president for two consecutive terms and is constitutionally not allowed to run for a third. Though the Guardian Council says it doesn't play favourites, Abraham Raisi, Iran's top judge and a hardliner, is now the frontrunner. His chances of winning are almost 100%, especially after the council arbitrarily disqualified all but two of his moderate competitors. A primer on Iranian politics. To understand why the probable election of a hardliner Iranian president matters, here's a quick backgrounder on Iranian politics. After the Iranian Revolution in 1979, backdrop of Ben Affleck's escapades in Argo, Iran rebranded as the Islamic Republic of Iran, led by Grand Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini. 
The supreme leader of Iran, currently Ali Khamenei, is the real source of power, particularly on matters of the judiciary, national security and foreign affairs. Now, Iran does have an elected president in parliament who administer domestic affairs and engage with international parties. There's long been a tussle for power between Iran's moderate-slash-reformists and hardliners. The moderate-slash-reformists want to open up the country and improve relations with the West, while hardliners want to remain as an isolationist, pious theocracy. Iran's hardliner camp has generally succeeded in stamping out the reformist influence within the Iranian political system, despite the fact that moderates usually win elections when actually allowed to run. Zoom out. Key takeaways. The heart of elections is competition. If you take away that, it becomes a corpse. The Iranian President Rouhani on 26th of May 2021. Quite so, Mr. President. Now, I think the upcoming election in Iran will have long-lasting impact. Firstly, it's likely that hardliners will successfully muzzle Iran's moderates, who were at least allowed stronger candidates in previous elections. The country's hardliners are determined to crack down on the slightest whiff of reform. Even Ali Larajani, a pragmatic conservative focused on Iran's economic recovery, was disqualified. Secondly, hardliners will continue blaming the country's sharp economic decline on President Rouhani and his camp's embrace of the West while consolidating their own power. In reality, former US President Trump's withdrawal from the Iran nuclear deal and resulting sanctions dealt a huge economic blow to Iran, whose inflation is at approximately 30% now. Thirdly, a hardliner Iranian president will embolden Iran's radical political factions who seek to punish engagement with West. It will also bolster the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is essentially Iran's political military force, and their presence across the Middle East, and intensify Iran's many proxy wars in the region. And finally, Iran's hardliners are likely to spy an opportunity as the US scales back its military presence in the Middle East. It remains to be seen who will fill the vacuum left by the US, but in a region as combustible as the Middle East, offense is often the best defense. Now, some seasoned Iran watchers say the difference between Iran's moderate and hardliner camps is not as wide as many think. In fact, the two camps often agree more than they disagree, particularly on key issues like human rights and the military. Iranians are not a monolith. Many of them sympathize with moderate candidates. So it seems unwise for Iran's hardliners to have so completely silenced dissent. The leaders of Iran should know better than most what happens when a regime doesn't provide a credible outlet for dissenting voices. Analyzing an analyst, Ian Bremer and our big tech future. Due to popular demand, our Analyzing an Analyst column is back. Ian Bremer is the president and founder of Eurasia Group, a large political risk, research and consulting firm. The following summary has been distilled from Bremer's recent speeches, TV and podcast appearances and articles. The overall theme. If you read the news, it's hard to miss the emerging narrative that the world has arrived at a turning point. Comparisons to the pre-war 1930s or the Cold War 1960s suggest that we should sense that we are living through something monumental. And perhaps we are, but the more interesting question is, what next? 
Well, Bremer thinks that in the medium term, governments and big tech will be the two main sources of real power. So how will they coexist? Will they work together to achieve shared goals? Or will they compete for primacy? He lays out three possible future world orders and which big tech companies we can expect to dominate in each scenario. Key takeaway, we think of governments and cultures as having ideologies. So if we accept that tech giants are emerging as a new source of power, then understanding their various ideologies can help us understand where the world might be going. As Ian Bremer says, a global order is coming that doesn't involve just states. Tech companies are increasingly setting the rules for our digital space. Given that our national security is as much in the digital space as the physical space, the big tech companies that are sovereign in that digital space increasingly wield real geopolitical power. Bremer's three futures. One, the national champion's future. In this future, the world is dominated by enormous conglomerates that see governments as their principal partners. There is no bright line between the public and private sectors, and Adam Smith spins in his Edinburgh grave. Of course, national champions have always existed since the British East India Company. Or, for a more contemporary example, think about General Electric in the US or the Chabol companies in Korea like Samsung, LG and Hyundai. In this future world order, Bremer thinks that Amazon and Microsoft are most likely to emerge as the US national champions. He thinks that Amazon is in the best position to provide domestic services and security, while Microsoft is best placed to take on the role of international security. This future is relatively easy to imagine. Amazon and Microsoft simply become the Lockheed Martin and Raytheon of our digital first future. Two, the globalist future. The second possible future is actually more of a long now or endless present. The same dynamics we currently see in the world, slowly eroding democracies, the outsourcing automation of jobs and rising inequality, continue to slowly bubble away. Here, Bremner suggests that Apple and Google will dominate because their business models focus on serving consumers and avoiding governments. Apple's privacy-centric business model will entrench the company as the conglomerate of choice for the global elite. In contrast, Google's control of information and data will see it become the panopticon of surveillance capitalism. After all, there's a reason Hey Google returns precisely the answer you need and only when asked, while Siri regularly interrupts your conversations to declare that on the morning before the Battle of Waterloo in 1815, it was partly cloudy with a high of 23 degrees. As Ian Bremner says, this future only works if conflicts stay low grade. If a new Cold War truly breaks out, pressure to be patriotic will significantly constrain these firms' trajectories. 3. The Techno-Utopian Future The last path is a Silicon Valley tech bro wet dream future, aka Elon's world. This vision of the world could go in many directions, but writ large, it's a decentralized world dominated by tech, the uber-rich, crypto, and of course, memes. Cloud countries are just one example of a possible techno-utopian future. Bremer thinks that if the speed of digital transformation ultimately erodes government control of society, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are the most likely to profit. Where Musk might control future infrastructure, for example, space, and transport, energy, Zuckerberg's Facebook empire will be able to predict and shape the behavior of digital citizens and set the rules for our digital societies. According to Ian Bremer, Elon Musk is in the strongest position to control 21st century security and infrastructure, but he also has the highest potential to be seen as a direct threat to the US government. The summary of the summary. If an 800 word summary is still too long for you, then 
Governments and big tech will be the two sources of global power in the medium term. How they interact will define our long-term future. If they stay out of each other's way, Apple and Google will be best placed to take advantage. If, however, we are heading into a Cold War 2.0, then we can expect to see Microsoft and Amazon operate closely with the US government to pursue US national interests. But if everything goes pear-shaped, or fantastically well, depending on your view, expect tech visionaries like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg to reign as digital pseudo-monarchs. My take? The national champion's future is the most likely. But the value of Bremer's simplified models of the future isn't necessarily to predict the future, but to understand the range of possible futures. For example, if a company understands that in the national champion's future, it will need to align closely with government to win lucrative contracts, it could start to build a strong public policy team before its competitors do to gain an advantage. Or if an investor understands that in a techno-utopian future, governments might not be able to provide security and stability, then that investor can better price the risk of investments in volatile geographies or industries ahead of the market. Whichever future eventuates, holding these different possibilities in your head when making strategic policy or business decisions will be key to identifying opportunities and mitigating risk in the future. And there we have it, another week in the books. We hope you enjoyed this week's edition as much as we enjoyed writing it and as much as we hope you enjoy every week. Only one piece of housekeeping this week, and that's to mention that our geopolitical guessing game from last week uh, is being extended by another week. That's because we're working on a little side project around forecasting the geopolitical future, and it's not quite ready to be released yet. Other than that, you can always get in touch with us by replying to the newsletter email or tweeting us at intintrigue, that's I-N-T intrigue on Twitter. And if you get a chance, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. That helps other people find our work. Until next week.